This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. Welcome to the Bartender Journey Podcast, number 112, 112, 112 shows. How about that? Uh, this is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. And this week on the show, I have Camper English, who's the great cocktail writer, blogger. He judges cocktail competitions, and he's the creator of Great Ice. And we're going to talk to him about the ice quite a bit today. Uh, he's famous for uh, figuring out a way to make clear ice at home. Clear. It's really cool looking. So uh, his website is alcademics.com. I suggest you check it out. Alcademics is spelled A-L-C-A-D-E-M-I-C-S.com. So uh, before we get to that, it's time for the book of the week, and it's Jim Meehan's The PDT Cocktail Book. If you remember, I interviewed Jim back in podcast number 89. It's a great interview, and here's a little piece of it. I feel like mixology is is like a study. You know, it's something that... You can sort of, I wouldn't say master quickly, but there are, there's a lot of resources out there now that kind of help you get up to speed with it and become, you know, conversant or, or you can be, I feel like you can become a mixologist in your spare time. Mm-hmm. Bartending is something that is, you have to, you got to do it, you know, so a lot of young bartenders will tell me that they're in one place and they will kind of want to be at this next place or they're sort of looking for a mentor they're sort of looking for the next best thing which is great and it's part of who we are Mm -hmm. but i also think that part of growing and part of growth is hunkering down and really understanding that your the way you grow is you make the place that you're in better and you make the people that you're working with better and you you kind of use those opportunities where you where you maybe are thinking to yourself man i wish i was working down the street or i wish i could be working with someone else and you're like or I can try to make this place that I'm in that that is a few steps away from being great much better. And maybe these guys who I'm working with, if they knew what I knew, I could sort of, we could sort of be a better team. And and I think that those are the things that I would suggest sort of people who are just kind of coming up in is like, seek out mentors, but, but also don't be afraid to become one yourself. That was an awesome interview with a true gentleman and a smart, smart dude. So, uh, yeah, if you haven't heard that one, go back in and take a listen. Uh, you can find it. If you go to bartenderjourney.net, there's a little search bar on the upper right-hand side. Uh, it's a little Google box. And uh, if you type in Meehan, uh, you'll be able to find it that way. Or uh, just scroll back to episode 89 uh, on, on, the, on the feed. Anyway, there's a great book with tons of cocktail recipes and awesome advice from Jim about making great drinks and, and running a bar. There's even some talk about entertaining at home. Uh, but this book is almost like a manual about how to run Jim's bar, <laughs> how, to, how to run the PDT uh, bar. And it, it shows everything from how the bar is set up with great diagrams and, and the hows and whys of everything that goes on in the bar. So if you go to my website, you'll see a link to the book. And by clicking through bartenderjourney.net and then onto Amazon, you'll be helping out the show a little bit. doesn't cost you any extra to buy through there. And uh, kicks a little bit back to help support the show. Maybe I'll post a picture of Jim's book uh, where he signed it in the front for me and because uh, that's fun. I know I said that last week about Dale DeGroff's book, so I have to do that too. <laughs> oh, so much to do. Always so much to do uh, in between working. In industry news, it's Negroni Week this week as I record this, June 1st through June 7th, 2015. And that's time when bars can sign up to uh, be registered with negroniweek.com. And they'll sign up and be listed on that site. And uh, what they do is they donate 
uh, I, th- I believe it's a dollar for each Negroni sold that week to a charity of their choice. So that's a cool little event, and it's sponsored by Imbibe Magazine. Maybe you want to, uh, maybe your bar can do it next year, or maybe you can go out this year and uh, drink a Negroni, or even just make yourself one, like I did. And uh, you can see a picture of the Negroni that I'm literally drinking right now uh, on bartenderjourney.net, and it's got the clear ice cubes in it. You know what's funny about that expression? <laughs> literally gets used a little too much. I was watching uh, TV. I was watching something, and, the, and a promo came on for the big uh, talent show. You probably know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I won't mention it by name. Uh Unless they want to sponsor the show, then I would be happy to mention them by name. Okay, so what was I saying? So the, the talent show, the, the promo, uh, and one of the judges goes, we are literally speechless. I thought that is just about the dumbest thing you could say because if you were literally speechless, you wouldn't be able to talk, right? Anyway, the Negroni that I'm literally drinking right now has the clear ice cubes in it that uh, I talked to Camper English about and that he kind of, uh, he didn't, well, I don't want to say he invented clear ice, but he uh, he writes, he did a lot of experiments uh, about how to best do that. And uh, I'll tell you about my, the te- I, I'm still working on my technique, as you may see in the picture, it's, they're not perfectly clear all the way through, but uh, they're close, so I'm still working on it. And uh, after the interview, I'll tell you about some of the tools that I use to, um, that I personally use to make the clear ice at home. Interestingly, Gaz, Gary Regan, just released a book called Negroni, and I don't have a copy of it yet. Uh, so uh, I'm sure it's awesome. All his books are awesome. So uh, looking forward to getting that, and uh, there's another book suggestion for you if you like. Okay, we're going to get to the interview with Camper English in just a sec, but uh, don't forget to stay tuned to the very end of the podcast today for our toast. A toast to you, my wonderful listeners. The music track we're listening to right now is called Raining Fire by Kula. All right, let's talk to Camper. Hi, Camper. How's it going? Thanks so much for joining me today. Sure thing. Well, let's jump right into it. You're most, well, I don't want to say you're most famous, but you're quite famous uh, about on the subject of ice. Yeah. I've been, uh, <laughs> I've been experimenting. I've got, uh, and in your honor here, I've, I've mixed up a Negroni with one of your famous clear ice cubes. So cheers to you, sir. Thank you for being on the show. <laughs> You're welcome and making me thirsty. <laughs> yeah, it's three hours later, right? You're in San Francisco, yeah? Yeah. So it's, well, three o'clock, close enough to, uh, close enough to five in New York, so. I figure, why not? Why not? So, uh, what what made you so curious about um, making clear ice cubes? Well, because people were doing it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and we would hear a lot of uh, rumors and hearsay. You've got to boil the water twice, or uh, freeze it and let it thaw, and then reboil it, and things that didn't seem like they would make scientific sense. So right. I decided to test all the existing theories and then try to come up with something that that worked. And that only took me nine months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you got it uh, you got it in that period of time. It's it's not easy. What what is it that actually makes ice cloudy? Uh, it's it's mostly trapped air. Uh, impurities could be a factor, but uh, really it's the air that uh, collects in the center of the ice cube, which is the last part to freeze, and mm. then uh, cracks also as it expands and uh, makes a cloudy center of the ice cube. So the way I developed was really just about, it doesn't make the ice actually any clearer, it just pushes the 
cloudy parts to one side of the cube. Right. So it's a uh, top-down freezing, right? Top-down freezing, yep. Just put a cooler in your freezer, fill it with water, leave the top off. I, yeah, I came up, I found a perfect one, Rubbermaid. It's about, I don't know, about 10 inches by six or so, and then they come out, they come out good. My, my uh, problem is cutting them. That's the tricky part, because what we want to do is cut off, cut off the cloudy part and get rid of that. So Right. Well, you can just let it freeze only long enough that everything you have is clear and uh, just discard the stuff on the bottom. Oh. So you don't need to let it freeze entirely, um, oh. and uh, you just have a big clear slab. Oh, nice. Uh, but then you still need to cut it from the, the big slab into right. actually cubes that fit in the glass, but that's kind of fun, I think. Yeah, so do you use an ice pick or a saw or a chisel? Or I what? use an ice pick. I used to try to be fussy about it and saw them into nice, neat cubes, but now I just grab an ice pick and, and smash, smash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't mind the ice cube being in odd shape. It's just trying to get, you know, rid of as much of the cloudy part as possible while preserving the uh, clear part. You know, that's, that's, that's the part I, I, I like to be picky about, but it's, it's not yeah, easy. I use the uh, three prong ice pick for that. I found it's better oh. for scraping that part off the bottom oh. rather than the single prong pick, which I like for making the cubes. Oh, I haven't seen those. I have to get one. Because <laughs> I'm kind of obsessed now, you know. It, one, <laughs> it happens, <laughs> and and just I mean, just the fact that it's a nice big ice cube, you know. And besides the fact that it's clear, it's, it's a, it makes an awesome drink. You just can't go back to junky ice cubes after yeah, that. Yeah, I've actually my my last trip to New York uh, last week, I had two people apologize to me for their ice in advance before they even <laughs> oh, served man. me a drink. That's some pressure <laughs> right there. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, I, were they using just that, were, were they using junky ice out of the out of an ice maker? Yeah, they're like, sorry, our cold draft machine is broken. It's, uh, it's not it's not up yet. The ice isn't going to be up to your standards. Oh man, that's <laughs> tough. So here's something else about ice that I'm kind of trying to wrap my brain around, and you're you're just a guy to talk through it. You know, as bartenders, we take the take the ice, we dump it in those ice bins, and it just sits there at room temperature all day. So uh, when the ice comes out. Uh, the uh, you know we assume it's going to be I don't know ten degrees or something when it comes out of the freezer or the ice machine, but as it sits there, it starts to get warmer and it's I mean it starts to melt. So is my ice now thirty two degrees? Yes, it is right. <laughs> yes, it's it's right at freezing temperature. And uh, but the the thing is that you're going to have water on the outside of the ice if yeah. it's been sitting at room temperature. So the water um, is warmer <laughs> obviously yeah. than the freezing temperature and. Uh, as far as adding that to drinks, wet ice will do a, a much worse job of cooling a drink than dry ice. Yeah, because it takes so much energy to go from ice to water. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, it doesn't work. And then is the ice on the bottom colder than what's on the top because it's covered with ice? <laughs> I guess it would be, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I suppose it could be. Yeah. I don't know if it's worth stirring that bin up every once in a while. I don't know. <laughs> It's a lot to think about here. Need a, a bin for your ice bin. <laughs> yeah, uh, I liked your uh, your posting uh, things I did not know until I tended bar, and you said you started by saying I was one of the most overtrained bartenders who had never actually tended bar. Uh, that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I uh, I have to take all of the courses and read all of the books, but yeah. actually don't uh, make drinks for other people all that often. So it was. Right. Uh, that was a particularly uh, eye-opening experience. And I've still never attended a bar where I've actually had to take money <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> in special it's, events. It's a lot harder. It's like lot, that. Yeah. yeah. And, you have and, to put math into the equation. Yeah. 
and then serving food, you have to know the menu. So it's, and then you said, uh, they, they don't teach you how to make a Long Island iced tea in their fancy bartending classes. <laughs> it's very funny. <laughs> yeah, I had to turn to the other bartenders to, uh, to help me with the, the bad drinks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those are the those are the ones as bartenders a lot of times are making all day long depending on where you work you know <laughs> right well you said you said it was just as dirty and sticky as you thought it would be it was, it was. <laughs> and you could really feel the people's beady eyes uh watching you the whole time that was something i didn't realize because i always thought that bartenders weren't purposefully ignoring the customers <laughs> oh, no, it's on purpose. until i was there i'm like oh, oh yeah i know you're there i'm just not looking at you because yeah. you're going to start shouting the order at me yeah that's a hard that's that's a bad habit to get into and i i, I had to purposely break myself of doing that but you know some when you're when you're in the weeds when you're really busy you know you yeah you you, you look down you don't make eye contact and it's it's actually a bad habit because that, people get people get mad and they think you're ignoring yeah. them and you know it's better to you know look at them yeah. and give them the little shake of the head or say i'll be right with you yeah exactly <laughs> and that's that's a skill i do not have yet <laughs> yeah. it take a lot more uh, practice before i'm give the the acknowledgmental nod yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and go back to making the current drinks. Yeah, but it's easy to fall into that uh, head-in-the-sand kind of uh, <laughs> habit. That's bad news. <laughs> you say, drunk people are kind of cute and also kind of annoying. Yeah, I can second yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Except for me, I'm you know, only cute. Of course. <laughs> Just like me, cute and funny and charming. <laughs> no, it's easy It's easy to be about, around drunk people when you're drinking, but uh, when, you're right. so, when you're sober, it's a different story. Yeah, that uh, number 14 on your list, the scariest part of the job is worrying if people have planned to get home safely. Uh, that is that is always on your mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, it would be a very stressful part of, of the job. Yeah, yeah. Patrons can just pop out of nowhere. That's pretty. That's so true. <laughs> like you, you weren't just standing there a second ago. Right, what, I was what? just looking right here. <laughs> How, where did you? Even were you hiding behind teleport the, in from? Were you hiding behind the bar, crouched down, and just popped up? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you wrote in Details Magazine about uh, cocktail trends. For uh, well, I read the one for 2015, and uh, how's that panning out now that we're about halfway through the year? Uh, I don't remember what I wrote, probably (laughs) pretty good, you know. I I know what I'm doing, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you wrote about uh, how theme bars are popping up quite a lot lately, and that's that's true. Tiki bars, of course, yep, people getting more specific, more uh, a little bit more obscure, yeah, and and also um, better at promoting themselves. A bar. The top bars are treating themselves like franchises, even if they only own one location. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, you gotta you gotta make yourself different and unique somehow, one way or another. That's true. Did you write? I forget if it was that article or somewhere else you were writing about salt and cocktails, which um, is something mm-hmm. that's popping up more and more these days. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was a it was a secret trick that some bartenders used for yeah. many years, and then. Sort of the secret got out, and everyone's oh, of course, you know, salt makes things taste better. So yeah, let's yeah. put it in everything. Which some bars literally have salt in every single cocktail. That's weird. You know, I haven't experimented with that much myself. I've got to try that. But uh, I guess better to make a little, um, a little like saline solution, like almost like simple syrup. Yes, a lot of people have just a tiny eyedropper, like they would have bitters on top of the bar, and we'll add that in like one drop per cocktail. Yeah, that makes sense. And other yeah. people put it in the syrups instead because they help flavors pop as they do in a meal. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I've got to try that. Um, well, speaking of simple syrup, you wrote a, you, you did an experiment uh, with simple syrup. Uh, how long it lasts in different formulations? So that was, that was really useful. 
Yeah, that's proven to be one of the most <laughs> enduring, uh, most clicked on uh, pages on my website after all these years later. Um, yeah. Just looking at this, how long it takes simple syrup to spoil uh, by using regular one-to-one simple syrup, using double strength, uh, and then adding a shot of vodka to either one of those. And turns out mm-hmm. <laughs> simple syrup lasts a lot longer if you uh, double up the sugar or, or add the splash of vodka to it. Yeah, that was uh, I was I wasn't surprised by the vodka, but that, I was very surprised to hear that it, it lasts longer with more sugar. That's really interesting. Yep. Well, sugar is a preservative uh, itself, so it's sort of it's preserving itself. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> more sugar. Way to go, sugar. Yeah, but it does get nasty. And and so what what was the determination of uh, you know when it was done when it was <laughs> when you when you when it was time to throw it away. We'd sort of see like a mistiness in the middle, like uh, a, a okay. cloud forming, and then I and I know where that goes eventually into like a nasty white, uh, moldy yeah. blob. So it was when I fir- saw the first signs of it, like okay, this is definitely on its way out. Right. Okay. So yeah. So if you uh, if you dub- double the sugar and add the vodka, we say that's that's ideal. That's yeah. the that's the best situation. It'll definitely last you more than two months, and uh, probably a lot longer than that. Nice, that's that's great because it's. A, but you have to adjust your recipes, of course. Right. I, yeah, it is. I, yeah, I find it. I, I find it tough. Some. I mean, even knowing that I have two to one sugar syrup, uh, simple syrup, it's it's still somehow doesn't come out the same way when you add half. You have to add a little water, I guess. Right, and it's it's also not exactly, if you're doing it by volume, then it's not really mm. uh, a double double mm. the amount of sugar because uh, the the volume that the sugar takes up in the water and all of that, it's, mm. it's about two-thirds. Um, by uh, volume? Uh, yes, yeah. So really? Rather than Oh wow! So it's, okay, yeah, you cool. don't you don't just double. It's not. It's the math is not easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's better to weigh it. Yep, absolutely. Your 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 backgrounds in in science, right? Or um, yes, I studied uh, physics for my undergrad, and uh, I sort of missed doing science, so I've uh, <laughs> been making up for it in the cocktail realm. Yeah, cool. I spent all yesterday doing experiments. Uh, leading up to my Tales of the Cocktail seminar on prehistoric cocktail technology. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I was experimenting with like early carbonation techniques and natural coloring and creating endothermic reactions so that you could cool things without using ice. <laughs> what, what is an endothermic? What is endothermic? Thermic? Endothermic. Basically, it's a, it's a reaction that sucks uh, heat out so it makes things cool like um those instant ice packs for a sports mm. injury mm. that that's an example of a reaction that's endothermic and um makes something cooler as a result of the reaction mm. so how'd that go how'd your experiment go that sounds interesting uh it was pretty good i i did a few things i have to, to order some more supplies and uh <laughs> because even just adding salt to water uh, lowers the temperature a, a little bit, but not really a significant amount. Mm-hmm. So um, now I'm trying to find the the best things to use. It turns out the stuff that's in those instant sports cooling packs is one of the best uh, materials to use, but it's also something that's in explosives. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> not something you want to drink, I suppose. <laughs> I, I've ordered some online, but I'm sure I'm on a watch list now. <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs> But are you actually adding that stuff into the cocktails, or are you using it in a... Uh, for the outside of, of the glass. Uh, I read some early 
um, some books on early cocktails and in places that didn't have uh, ice in the summers, they would, uh, in Brazil, they were using, uh, I believe it was uh, an ammonium salt as well as saltpeter uh, in other cultures. And I think those are similar chemically. I'm only learning about them now, so mm, forgive, forgive any errors, listeners. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, And those sort of salts combined with water do create those endothermic reactions and would cool the outside of your cup. Oh, so it's, uh, yeah, it's like, it's like the um, ice cream makers. Exactly. And yeah. I'm also experimenting with an ice cream maker. I uh, decided it would be fun to do, rather than ice cream in it, do a Ramos Gin Fizz inside of an ice cream maker. Oh, nice. <laughs> Technology. And That's they have a cool idea ice cream makers that are balls that you can just roll around. You put the stuff inside of them and then you can just roll it around for 10 minutes and it oh, yeah, yeah. ice cream or in this case, a Ramos Gin Fizz. <laughs> Perfect. That's cool. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've seen those on like, you know, late night infomercials or something. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, uh, oh, that sounds cool. What else, what else at the, uh, at the seminar? Uh, I'm going to be experimenting with some carbonation um, technologies and, I have a ways to go, but I was doing just like when you make um, in a kid science project the volcano with mm. vinegar and baking soda. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's creating carbon dioxide. So you can use that to then carbonate another liquid. And uh, some early carbonation vessels were took advantage of that exact technology. And it's just what Alka Seltzer does, really. Hmm. <laughs> wow. it's, a, it's an acid and a base, and they come together and they form CO2. Cool. And so I've been having a lot of fun with that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. But I guess the trick must be not to make the cocktail taste weird with all that stuff you're adding. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm buying a whole bunch of different uh, supplies to try to find the things that would disguise themselves the best in a cocktail. Right. You know, baking soda is not delicious. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Baking soda and vinegar is what you put in the volcano in the science fair, right? Exactly. And uh, you know, now that we have shrubs in uh, cocktails, well, I can get the vinegar in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Just the baking soda that'll be the trick, or maybe there'll be a substitute. So that's what I'm researching now: yeah. ordering chemicals and eating them. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, shrubs are cool. I got into that. I, I interviewed uh, Warren Bobrow about his shrub book, and uh, I, I've been making them at home. They're great, really fun. They're so great, so delicious. Uh, and I've yeah. always loved vinegar in particular, but you know, adding a, the fruit flavor to it, it's. I mean, they have great utility in drinks as well as being a great way to preserve uh, fresh ingredients, and they taste really good too. They, t- they taste really unique. You know, I mean, it makes really unique cocktails. You know. Yeah, I remember the first time I ever had one, and you know I've never forgotten that flavor and how much I loved it. And I went on a shrub binge. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, that's right up your alley with uh, experimenting <laughs> with things. Yeah, well, in in his book, he's got some made with vegetables and too, not just fruit and all all kinds of things. So it's yeah, it's really cool. Nice. Uh, so it, is it just the one seminar you're doing at Tales this year, or or two? I'm giving two this year. Yeah, so one is. Prehistoric cocktail technology, that's the one we've been talking about. Right. And the other one is on a global history of liqueurs. Ah. So, uh, you know, what, what are liqueurs overall and where do they come from and how far back do they go? Mm. What are the range of uh, different liqueurs around the world? And how do they make those egg and milk ones shelf-stable? That's, uh, that's what we're talking about. I know. I'm going to uh, give those a try uh, using the different technology. And then just to taste uh, some of the unique ingredients that are in liqueurs that we don't 
generally have on their own, mm-hmm. like the Chinese rhubarb that's uh-huh. in uh, Zuka and is also in Campari and things. Um, it tastes amazing on its own. Really? <laughs> yeah. huh. Yes, it does. And I tried some when I went to the uh, Di Serrano Distillery, which is where they make Zuka. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, I love this flavor. Mm. <laughs> went to my local health food store and bought some right away. Oh, wow. So it's, a, it's an herb, I guess, right? It's a, it's a root. A root. And Zuka is a liqueur, huh? I'm, I'm not familiar with it. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's a, it's an Amaro, so it's got a, a lot of different uh, weird things from Italy stuck in it. Oh, okay, cool. I never heard of that. Cool. Uh, yeah. Oh, speaking of Campari and, and Negronis, we should just quickly mention your uh, fruit roll-ups. <laughs> Campari fruit roll-ups, yes. that's fun. <laughs> that looks- yeah, that was another one of my fun projects, and I'll probably do some of that for the seminar as well. Uh, dehydrating liqueurs. Uh, something that I first heard about from Australian bartenders. They were dehydrating chartreuse, <laughs> and you dehydrate it down into a crystallized sugar that tastes like the liqueur you dehydrated it from. And wow. uh, they would do rim the glass cool. with, say, chartreuse. And wow. so I started doing all sorts of experiments with that, which was really fun. Uh, I used a lot of Campari. In particular, I sort of fizzed off all the alcohol from Campari and then made a non-alcoholic Campari and soda. Okay. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I used those sugars to make the fruit roll-ups, the Campari fruit roll-ups, which were fantastic. Mm, I bet. Uh, like rock candy sugar with liqueurs. And you can use them basically anywhere you would use a flavored sugar mm. uh, once, once you have them done. But you have to boil off the alcohol first? Yes, so you're wasting a lot mm. of you're wasting like most of the money. Yeah, the, the chartreuse bottle. is like what fifty five dollars a bottle or something. Right, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't go for the chartreuse dehydration. <laughs> yeah, for just that reason. Yeah. But I was able to uh, get a donation of some Campari and uh, yeah. and experiment with that, and it was really fun. That's cool. That's cool. Well, I'm going to try to make it to at least one of your one of your two seminars this year. Awesome. And I think uh, I think probably the prehistoric cocktail one. That sounds really really fun. Yeah, well, the uh, liqueurs one has sold out already, so uh, that's the only one you'll be able to go uh, to. So, uh, uh, well, I have, a, I have a press pass, so I can go where I want. <laughs> I go where I want. Yeah, I'm man. You know, I do some. Uh, I do a separate podcast for Tales Three Sixty Five members. That's um, only for their members, so they they hook me up with a press pass to uh, to uh, for this and for that. So uh, works out well. Nice. One or two more things I want to ask you about Armagnac. You seem to be a, a very big proponent of Armagnac. Yeah, I am. It's uh, it's a fun category. I did a press trip there in the fall, and I think we went to twelve distilleries. And you know, I'm the I'm that guy with all the questions at the distilleries, mm-hmm. so I end up having a lot to write afterwards. And so, for every distillery visit, I did a blog post yeah. as well as some summary ones about the difference between. Armagnac and Cognac in particular. And now I just watch what bartenders are doing with it, really taking it on and making a lot of drinks with it. Really? What, what cocktails have you seen with Armagnac? Um, mostly original creations. Yeah. So that's a, a lot of them are not like old familiar ones, just yeah, redone. Yeah. But uh, a lot of them are cocktails where there would have been Cognac in it. Right. I think the Cognac producers haven't stepped up as much as they should to give bartenders products that they want, you know, a little bit higher proof, a little bit less sweetening uh, agents added and uh, at, low, at a lower price. So uh, the Armagnac, because it's really undervalued right now, you can get really nice Armagnac for not much money. Oh, yeah. And uh, bartenders, I think, have seized on it. And they're, they're 
as Sherry was about five years ago. Mm-hmm. Bartenders are like, please, just give us more. We'll take it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Import it and we'll buy it. Yeah. So it's an exciting time, I think, uh, the beginning of a larger Armagnac and larger brandy overall uh, focus on uh, bars in America. Are the Armagnac producers kind of feeling weird about their products being used in, co- you know, in a non-traditional manner? In other words, not just sipped in a big, big old snifter? They seem more on board with it than the, the cognac people had been in the past and also yeah. more on board with it than the sherry people still are. Mm. Um, they, <laughs> they're a lot less precious uh, about it, it seems. And several producers I spoke with were actively promoting use of Armagnac in cocktails, and that's good. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll work out well for everybody. <laughs> That whole thing about cognac being used in cocktails, well, I was working uh, about seven years ago now, I, I was working, uh, doing like wedding events, you know, so we were so all, all kinds of different people. And uh, the first time somebody came up to me and asked for a, a specific brand of cognac and cranberry juice, I was like, what? <laughs> you want them mixed together in the same glass? <laughs> it was like, uh, what are you talking about? That was so odd. And, but what you said was, delighted to serve you, sir. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My pleasure. That's what I always say. But wait, could you sum up real quick what the difference between Armagnac and Cognac is? Well, sure. They're uh, from different regions of France. Right. Uh, they're both yeah. uh, grape brandies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Armagnac tends to be more of a vintage product, at least with the, the year on it, whereas in Cognac, it's really all about the blends. Yeah. And um, Is Armagnac not blended? It's, well... The younger stuff is usually a blend, but without an age, without without a vintage year put on it. But okay. a lot of the older stuff, um, they'll they'll know right in the beginning whether they're going to lay it down for a, a vintage or uh, whether it's going to go into a blend, okay. much like they do with cognac. The that's the the master blenders is huge role is to uh, know right away is this is this going to be rich and thick and going to last for many years in a barrel uh, aging or should we you know let it go one or two years and put it into a blend for mixing with uh with whatever right yeah I, yeah from what i understand the the blending's the big thing about cognac absolutely and it, you know it still is with armagnac but they it's not i mean cognac you get the really old really expensive stuff and it's still a blend yeah uh, whereas Armagnac, they tend to be very specific and precious. This is a 1963 vintage mm. rather than a blend of very old stuff in general. I always wonder why they didn't, why whiskey just, or you know bourbon in particular didn't pick up on that kind of thing. You know, like why is there no vintage ever with whiskey? Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess the. Uh, I mean, we'll say it's 20 years old or whatever, but I don't know. It's cooler if it says you know it was made in whatever 1985. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I think that probably the the grain crops, because those are more large commodities, uh, are a little less uh, variant year to year. Whereas mm. the uh, mm-hmm. the grapes, you know, a good year to a bad year, and an early frost or a wet season can vastly affect the product that you get at the end. Just like with wine, whereas the corn and things like that, they're a massive product. It's dried in a factory. You buy it to specification, and then. Sort of doesn't matter what year you made it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's more about uh, how long it was in the barrel. Yeah. Well, the, well, the big brands they go for consistency anyway. You know, they sure. they want it to taste the same year to year. But you know, geeky cocktail people like me or whiskey people, uh, you know, I'd love to try one that's you know specific year and see how it compares to the year before or five years before. You know, mm-hmm. but 
anyway, we can dream. <laughs> you wrote something about uh, bourbon doesn't need to be aged in American oak barrels or in barrels at all. And that was a, that was a little bit of a shocker. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the bourbon people have been good at telling us like new charred American oak barrels and uh, no additives. And that's not actually true. Mm, <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's, you know, somewhat true. So it's uh, new charred oak vessels. Right. So there's no American and there's no barrel hmm. in the actual definition. So you could put it in a uh, you know Brazilian oak box. Um, <laughs> that that would be fine, and it's bourbon. Hmm. And uh, that came about because a, a product was released, a, a bourbon aged in French oak. So I thought that was an opportunity to bring up the subject. Hmm. Like, hey, <laughs> it doesn't have to be American. Interesting. And that and that's specified by. Congress in what 1963 or something that, or whenever it was, the, it's, it's around then, yeah, 50s or 50s or early 60s. Yeah, that uh, yeah, very specific rules on what you have to do to call it bourbon, but they're they're actually a little looser than uh, most people realize, I guess. Exactly, yeah, and when when you get to straight bourbon, you have additional laws that I think we all most bourbon that we drink is straight bourbon, and that's you know prevents uh, coloring additives and. Uh, things get a lot more serious at that level. It still could be French oak, but if it's just bourbon and not straight bourbon, then you have to then you have to wonder a little bit more what's in it. Huh. They can have uh, some additives. Do you think we'll see in the future more uh whiskeys made with um staves or, you know, not in, not in a barrel? I mean, I obviously couldn't call it bourbon at that point, but you know, if you're it seems like it'd be more cost efficient to make the stuff in a big stainless steel vat and add wood inside the vat. Right, and and it might taste better than some of the yeah. the new startup distilleries who are making putting things in really really tiny barrels. Right, and they just taste like white dog and sawdust. Yeah. Um, to get together, it's not it doesn't show the maturity that comes with age. But you know, if you can get it, take a stave and toast it on all sides and insert it in the middle of a a glass vessel uh, and age whiskey that way. Like, okay, that's fine. That's that's innovation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, there's always stigma with that kind of thing, but I'm, I'm sure it'd be possible to make a good product if you tried hard enough. Yeah, I, I think so too. And you know, who knows what the barrel situation is right now? If we're yeah. actually running low or not, we <laughs> hear it both ways all the time. So. Right, right. That's so <laughs> but true. There is certainly a, a demand for a lot of barrels right now. Absolutely. All the startups. All right. Well, thank you. I won't keep you any longer. I really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to maybe seeing you down in New Orleans in July. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks a lot. All right, Camper. Take care. Thank you again. Cheers. Bye. That was great. I love the story about the first time he actually tended bar. Stay tuned for the toast in just a minute. Uh, but first, we want to talk about the tools for making clear ice. So I, I bought a small little um, cooler. It's uh, I, I guess I mentioned it in the interview. Uh, you know, it's about a foot across and maybe uh, eight inches wide, and it's it's perfect. It makes a nice big uh, chunk that you can cut into into pieces uh, when you're making that clear ice. And I bought an ice pick. Uh, and also, after speaking with Camper that day, I ordered a six-prong ice pick. He said, he said he had one with three prongs. I saw one with six, so that, that works uh, a little better than the single-prong one that I have. But you need that one, too. Uh, you know, they're really not expensive. And uh, if you go to—oh, and one more tool I have is a—it's called a jeweler's hammer. So it's a little little hammer that I use only for that. So, uh, you know, I, didn't, I don't go to my workbench and get a rusty old hammer that I use for— uh, <laughs> 
whatever, building decks or whatever. But uh, if you go to bartenderjourney.net, I'll put a, I'll put links to all those tools, and uh, you, you'll be able to buy those tools through the website. Uh, you know, like I said in the beginning, you can help out the Bartender Journey podcast a little bit by going to bartenderjourney.net and clicking through to Amazon to make your purchases. And it doesn't cost you any extra to do that, but it does help out the show a little bit. And uh, we could use some help get, keeping the show on the air. It's uh, There's some costs associated with it. So we need to, um, you know, support it, please. I'd appreciate it. And uh, there's also a tip cup page if you just want to uh, leave a tip for the show. When you go out, I bet you tip your bartender, right? So tip the podcast, the Bartender Journey podcast. And uh, what else do we want to talk about? You can also help out by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and, and writing something nice. A little review would be, it helps a lot. You, you'd be surprised. And uh, please do that. Hey, we got a comment from another podcast. It's called Simple Cocktails Podcast. Yeah, I checked that out. You might, you might want to take a listen. That's, uh, they're, they're fun. They, they talk about cocktails every week. So uh, you might want to take a listen to that. And they, they wrote a nice comment about our podcast and gave five stars, which is the most you can give. So head on over to iTunes and help us out by leaving a rating and some stars. Hey, this song we're listening to right now is called Theme J by Steve Combs and Delta Is. All right. So again, my name is Brian Vincent Weber, and you can feel free to email me at any time for any reason. Uh, my email address is vince.bartender at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Barkeep Tips. You can find the Bartender Journey, uh, what do you call it, Facebook page on, uh, on Facebook. Just search for Bartender Journey. You'll find it there and like us. All right. Here's our toast. Our enemies never drink. Our friends always do. So let's drink this drink so we can tell who's who. Cheers! Cheers.